up your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20. And the uh, message tonight is, Jeremiah is imprisoned. Jeremiah is imprisoned. He had been threatened before this about, you know, the things that he was preaching and, uh, you know, that they, they wanted to do away with him. But, you know, what was only threats before has now become a reality here in chapter 20. Pashur, mentioned here in the very beginning of chapter 20, was the assistant to the high priest and he was the chief security officer for the temple. Pashur did not like the things that Jeremiah was preaching about. So he had Jeremiah arrested, he had Jeremiah beaten, and he had Jeremiah put into the stocks until the next day. And when Jeremiah went down to Tophet in chapter 19 and he broke the the earthen flask as the Lord had told him to do, the message that he gave the people of Judah was that they were going to go into captivity. Josiah, who was a great and good king, is dead now. He's been replaced by Jehoiakim and Zedekiah. The last king of Judah is now on the throne. And he is the worst and the weakest of all the kings that ever ruled Judah. And it was during Zedekiah's reign that the Babylonian captivity that Jeremiah prophesied about is going to take place. And now we're going to see a change take place in Jeremiah's life and his ministry. As a result of these things that are going to take place. These things that he prophesied about. And we're going to see that in his own life and ministry. And when he preaches God's word, he's unwavering. He's, he's, he's strong in what he's saying. He's, he doesn't compromise. But personally, Jeremiah has a very tender heart. Though what he's preaching sounds very strong and, and very powerful. And troublesome, but his heart is tender. He was just, he was preaching God's message. When, he, when his dearly loved friend Josiah died, Chronicles says that Jeremiah cried for him. The three evil kings who followed Josiah rejected Jeremiah's ministry in a really obvious way. Jeremiah, by then, was given a, a, a cold shoulder. His message was totally ignored. But he personally hasn't been persecuted yet. It hasn't touched him physically. But here in chapter 20, it does. Jeremiah is being personally and physically persecuted for the first time. Let's begin with chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. And it reads, Now Pashur, the son of Emer, the priest, who was also chief governor in the, in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. And then Peshur struck Jeremiah the prophet, put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. So this Peshur here was also the chief governor. He was a person in this position, or the person in this position, he had to be a priest. He had oversight of the temple, he had oversight of the temple guards, and uh, he had oversight into the entry of the courts, and so on. So, um, you know... Jeremiah's message against the city and the temple, hey, it was a serious thing to Peshur because of the threat to the, uh, to the continuation of the cult that he was involved in. Peshur was a priest. So you would think that he should have protected Jeremiah, who was of, of his own order, 
uh, of priesthood as well. And even more so because Jeremiah was a prophet of the Lord whose interests the priests, his ministers, ought to seek advice from. But this priest was a persecutor of Jeremiah. He wasn't a supporter of Jeremiah when he should have been. What were just threats before, as I said earlier, were now being carried out against Jeremiah. And Pashur, the high priest's assistant and chief of security of the temple, did not like the message that Jeremiah was preaching. So what does he do? He had Jeremiah arrested. He had Jeremiah beaten and put into stocks overnight. Now, this wasn't a normal prison or dungeon. It was a holding cell for those who might defile the area by some uncleanness or, or some immoral behavior. And the stocks were located at a noticeable place in the temple area so that everybody could see him or those who were put in stocks. It was to add, you know, insult to injury. And to be put in the stocks, man, that was an extremely painful experience, a very painful ordeal. The person's head, hands, and feet were held tightly in holes that were cut into a single piece of wood. And he, would, and they would, he spent all night in this position with the, body, with the body bent and twisted. It would be very uncomfortable and very painful. You know, not only that, again, he had been beaten. So on top of the beating, put in these stocks, you can imagine how Jeremiah must have felt physically, mentally, and spiritually. He was probably confused. He was probably angry and discouraged by what was happening to him. And a lot of times, you know, when those kinds of things happen to us, we may not be put in stocks, but uh, going through some trial or tribulation because we're walking with God, we're standing for God, we're, we're, we're speaking His Word to people, and, and they come against us or, or, or something happens to us. We get sometimes confused about, wait a minute, Lord, what's going on here? We might get angry and discouraged. This high gate of Benjamin that's mentioned here in these verses was also called the upper gate. But it was called the high gate of Benjamin to distinguish it from another city uh, gate with the same name. This gateway provided entry into the temple court, you know, the temple courtyards from the north, the direction of Benjamin's territory. Look at verses 3 and 4 now. And it happened on the next day that Pashur brought Jeremiah out of the stocks. And then Jeremiah said to him, The Lord has not called your name Peshur, but Magor Misabib. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends, and they shall fall by the sword of their enemies, and your eyes shall see it. And I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall carry them captive to Babylon, and slay them with the sword. The name Magor Misabib means fear. Or terror on every side. Fear or terror on every side. It means that it speaks of the man who lives in fear. Jeremiah is telling Peshur that there's fear in store for him and everybody that's connected to him. And as Peshur had been a terror to Jeremiah, so he would become a, a terror to himself, his family, and his associates. The enemy mentioned here in verses four through uh, three through four. The enemy from the north, described earlier in the passage in chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, is identified here as Babylon. Look at verses 5 through 6. 
He says, Moreover, I will deliver all the wealth of the city, all its produce, and all its precious things, all the treasures of the kings of Judah, I will give into the hand of their enemies, who will plunder them, seize them, and carry them to Babylon. And you, Pashur, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity, and you shall go to Babylon, and there you shall die and be buried there, you and all of your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. So this is the prophecy that Jeremiah is going to call their attention to over and over again. The southern kingdom is going into captivity and nothing can stop it. God said earlier in chapter uh, um, 19 that, that even Moses or Samuel, if they were still alive, couldn't do anything for them. Because it was too late for the people. The people have gone too far in their rejection of God and has made it obvious by the things that we're doing, you know, with this present king and the two before him. So let's look at what happens to Jeremiah now as a result of what happened to him. He's been ignored because of what he's preaching. He's been rejected because of what he's been preaching. But like I said, up to this point, he hasn't been persecuted physically. But now he has beaten, putting in stocks for everybody to see. And, and, and remember, even his own heart was, bre- was breaking because of the message that he had to give the people because it was going to be terrible judgment. But what does he do now as a result of what happened to him? He decides, I'm going to quit ministry. Think about that. That happens to a lot of servants of God. Things don't go right or they don't go the way they think they should. Because many times they have the wrong idea of service. That everything should be wonderful. Everything should go smoothly. Everybody's going to get along. It's going to be wonderful. It doesn't work out that way all the time. So what does he do? He says, I'm done. He decides to resign from ministry. You can feel his pain. You can sense his disappointment. He's totally bummed out. It's not that he's not concerned about what's happening. You know, he's feeling all of this that, 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 that he's been prophesying. He feels it very deeply inside. And it's taken away his strength physically and emotionally. Beaten, imprisoned, sitting in stocks overnight. Think about it. In that situation, it gave him a lot of time to think. And you know, doesn't say, but by, you know that Satan was whispering in one ear while God was speaking to him in another. Jeremiah reminds the people in verse 4 that the king of Babylon would surely come and God was going to let their enemies just ransack Jerusalem. And he says in verse 5, all of your famous treasures of the city, all of those precious things, the jewels, the gold and the silver, they're going to be taken. You're going to be pillaged. And the passage suggests that Peshur had been denying the truth of Jeremiah's preaching. And telling the people, hey, don't worry, Egypt's going to help us, you know, that is Judah. Egypt's going to help us if Babylon attacks us. He had deceived them by saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Peshur will see all of these things, the precious things the treasures, and himself all be taken to Babylon, according to verse 6. 
or he's going to die in disgrace among the people that you have prophesied lies to. Look at verses 7 through 9. O Lord, now here's Jeremiah, after being in the stocks, being beaten overnight, here's what he's saying now. O Lord, you induced me. In the King James Version, it says, you deceived me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I, and I have prevailed. I am in derision daily. That is, they mock me every day, Lord. Everyone mocks me. Verse 8, for when I spoke, I cried out. In other words, when I spoke, Lord, in your behalf, I told them. I shouted violence and plunder because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him. He says, I'm not going to speak about God anymore. He says, nor speak anymore in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire. It was shut up in my bones. I was, very, I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Jeremiah here is so discouraged, and he's telling God everything that's going on in his heart, everything that, he, that he's feeling, everything that he's thinking. And you know, when God's servants find themselves in this kind of a situation, experiencing affliction because they've been faithful in the ministry. And that's why many times we, we, we experience affliction. It's because we've been faithful in the ministry. Satan will come and say, oh, you must be doing something wrong. God must be mad at you. You must not be doing the right things. But it's usually because you are doing the right things that you experience affliction in the ministry because you've been faithful in the ministry. We're often tempted to question our call. Was I really called? Did God really speak to me? And we begin to think twice about our calling. So what should you do when that happens? Well, what did Jeremiah do? Well, one of the first things that we should do is talk to the Lord about it. As Jeremiah is talking about it to the Lord here in verses 7 through 9. We need to talk to the Lord and we need to tell him the truth because God knows what we're thinking. He knows our thoughts before we know them. He looks right into our heart and he knows what's going on there. Listen to 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. Again, this reminds, us, reminds me anyway of, of Hezekiah when, when, when he was sick and God you know, told Isaiah, to, hey, you need to get things in order because you're going to die. And in verses, uh, 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, it says, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, said to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, Hezekiah, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Notice the next verse, what Hezekiah, it says of Hezekiah. It says, Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall, and he prayed to the Lord, and Hezekiah wept bitterly. Hezekiah didn't run around freaking out. What do I do? What's He's, no, he, he went to the Lord. He took it to the Lord. He prayed. Hezekiah had found out that it wasn't in vain to wait upon God. But that the prayers of faith brings answers of peace. So he called upon God and said he would as long as he lived. As I said, the word translated deceived in, in verse 7 uh, is, is, is uh, in the King James is, is induced here. The word induced carries with it the idea of being enticed or seduced. It's like, God, you seduced me and you enticed me into the ministry. 
But we know that, that God doesn't lie. And we know that God you know, doesn't tempt or, or, or lead people. When he calls to the ministry, he doesn't mess with their minds. All right, he's not inducing them. He's not deceiving them. Because God can't lie. And James says that he doesn't tempt us to evil. But Jeremiah felt that the Lord had taken advantage of him and lured him into the ministry. And he says, because you're stronger than I am, Lord, I gave in to the temptation. Lord, you misled me and I allowed myself to be misled. Jeremiah said, Lord, I have faithfully preached your words of judgment and destruction. But because, the, but because the prophecy hadn't been fulfilled yet, it made Jeremiah a reproach, and they mocked him. Oh, yeah, you know, it, it's like today. You know, where's the, where's the promise of Jesus' coming? We've been hearing that for the last 30, 40, 50, however long you've been alive and been a Christian. We've been hearing that for a long time. And, and Jeremiah had been preaching God's judgment, but it hadn't come yet. So they were making fun of Jeremiah. Yeah, Jeremiah, yeah. How many times are you going to say that? You said, you've been saying that. And they mocked him. Jeremiah felt like a helpless woman who had been seduced and taken advantage by a deceptive lover. Jeremiah here isn't holding back. And he's using strong language. But at least Jeremiah said it privately to God and not in front of others. Just like Hezekiah did. He said he turned, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed to God. When Hezekiah, it says that Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, he may have done this for privacy. Because he couldn't go to his closet as he used to do, but he did the best that he could to have privacy. He turned away from the company that was around him, around him and he talked with God. And when you look at Jeremiah's call in chapter 1, and you look at what God said to him, it's very clear that, that in no way God misled him or enticed him. And the Lord told Jeremiah very clearly in chapter 1, verse 18, that you're going to have a rough time, Jeremiah. But he said, Jeremiah, if you trust in me, I will make you a fortified city and a bronze wall before your enemies. God warned Jeremiah that it wasn't going to be easy. Jeremiah was warned about the demands of ministry and that they would increase. But here's the thing. When, when, the, when the demands of ministry increase and things get tougher, Jeremiah would have to grow. We have to grow in order to keep going. God told Jeremiah in chapter 12, 12, verse 5, if you're racing against men, mere men, and it makes you tired, how are you going to race against horses? If you stumble on flat, open ground, what are you going to do in the thickets near the Jordan? In other words, you know, hey, if you're, if you're you know, falling down now in, in these easier situations, what are you going to do when things get really tough? What Jeremiah's ministry was doing for the nation, man, it was important. But even more important was what the ministry was doing for Jeremiah. You see, as we serve the Lord, our ability for ministry should increase and make it possible for us to do much more than we ever thought we could. But we get offended, we get angry, we get, we, we get whatever the problem might be, and what do we, we back off. We get out. 
instead of keeping going and working through and making it stronger, giving us better, greater ability and making it possible for us to do more in the ministry than we ever thought we could do. After God told you how you, after, after you've told God how you feel, what should you do next? Well, not what Jeremiah did. In Jeremiah's case, he decided to quit the ministry. I, he, I'm going to quit being a prophet, God. He said, I'm going to keep my mouth shut and I'm not going to tell anybody about you anymore. But that didn't work for Jeremiah. Because the message of God was like a burning in his heart and a fire in his bones. Like the two on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, verses 32 through 35. It says, and they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked, that is Jesus, while Jesus talked with us on the road and while Jesus opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. The word was burning in their hearts so greatly. These two on the road to Emmaus, man, when they heard Jesus, it says that they ran off to Jerusalem to tell the eleven and tell the others about the things that had happened on the road. They went witnessing to Jesus because the word of God burned. And that should be the same thing with us. Jeremiah didn't preach because he had something that he wanted to say. He didn't preach because he had to say something. And a lot of times we, we, we just talk because we have to say something. Jeremiah didn't preach because he had to say something, but because he had something to say. And not saying it would have ruined him. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Serving the Lord is really hard sometimes. And sometimes you don't want to do it anymore. You get tired, it's inconvenient, it's sacrifice, whatever it might be. And you just want to quit. You want to step down. You want to, step, you want to throw in the towel. And you know what? Even the best servants struggle at times with wanting to quit. Even though Jeremiah was a great prophet, he dealt with this problem. And that's what we need to do. God's given us the things, the resources that we need to deal with problems. And if we didn't have problems, how would we know that God could solve them? How would we know? He dealt with the problem. Even though he was ready to quit the ministry. Verse 9 speaks of a time when Jeremiah struggled with this idea of quitting. But his quitting was hindered because of his devotion to the word of God. Jeremiah said, man, I am not going to make mention of him. I'm not going to speak anymore. In his name. Jeremiah had a very tough ministry. The people rejected his message and they treated him very badly. That's a combination that will make you quit. After a while, Jeremiah was so miserable. He was so fed up. He was so ready to give up. He decided to stop preaching God's word. He's decided to stop speaking in his name. But it says he couldn't hold back. 
He couldn't hold back the divine message. Or any, in any way could he be hindered from accomplishing God's purpose. He said, man, God's word was in my heart like, like, like a burning fire. It was shut up in my bones. It was shut up in my bones. It's like, I got to let it out. Jeremiah was so devoted to the word of God. Are we that devoted to the word of God? He says, man, it was in my heart. It was in my bones. It greatly inspired him to serve God. Unlike the heart of the people that he was preaching to. Jeremiah's mental, physical, and emotional, and his spiritual life was overwhelmed by God's word. And by God's will for his people. Not many are devoted to the word of God to this degree. This is the most important difference among those who are serving the Lord. Some are devoted to the word of God, others aren't. In a time of crisis and service, it doesn't even have to be a crisis. Just something that upsets me. You'll see who the devoted ones are. The ones who are devoted to the word of God will do better than those who aren't. Jeremiah said, man, I was weary. I was tired of holding it back. I couldn't do it. With the word of God inspiring Jeremiah, he said, I can't quit. I must go on. He wanted to quit, but the word of God just continued to press him forward, to push him onward. The word of God kept Jeremiah going. And that's what the purpose of the word of God is to keep us going. Satan wants us to quit. He wants us to stop. It kept him going. The word of God kept him, kept him going. It kept Jeremiah from giving up. Serving the Lord can be very hard. It can be very discouraging sometimes. But if you'll stay in the word of God, you'll stay in his service. In Leviticus chapter 24, verse 2, God told Moses to tell the people, command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil, of pressed olives for the light to make the lamps burn continually. Mark this verse down. Make some notes with this regarding this verse. Because this command is given to provide oil for the... The command was given to provide oil for the lamps in the holy place of the tabernacle. And God gives three orders in Leviticus 24.2 that represent principles that are true in any service of God. Purity, pain, permanence. Three things, three principles in serving God. You must have purity, there's going to be pain, and your service is to be permanent. God told Moses to tell the children of Israel to bring pure oil. Pure oil. It speaks of purity. Because pure olive oil will give better service in the last because it burns better. There's less smoke. Purity is always best and always required for serving God. Then he said, bring pressed olives. Bring your pure oil of pressed olives. The the, the pressed olives represent, you can't get the oil without crushing the olives. Pressed olives represent the the being beat or crushed olives, suggesting pain. 
Symbolically, it represents the humbling blows that God's people experience and the trials that appear on the surface to ruin. In reality, they only purify. In order to serve God well, God often has to put us through many difficult trials in life that crush us, bringing a lot of pain to us, but they also improve our service. So let this truth encourage you when trials seem to crush the life out of you. And then lastly, he said, make the lamps burn continually. Speaking of permanence, the light is never to go out. Don't let the enemy blow out that light of your life. Through any of the circumstances that you may go through. God said to Moses, tell the people, never let the lamps go out. Do not let the lamp of your life go out. The light of your life is to burn continually, permanently. This means faithfulness and service. What did Paul say was one of the requirements of being a, a servant? He said in 1 Corinthians 4.2, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Faithful. Don't bother coming if you're not going to come faithfully. If you're not going to be committed. Because this is the kind of commitment God wants. And that's why you can't get people to serve for very long in church. God commands continual service, not temporary service. Verse 10. Jeremiah said, For I heard many mocking, fear on every side. Report, they say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watched for my stumbling, saying, Perhaps he can be induced. Then we will prevail against him and we will take our revenge on him. Jeremiah says in verse, hey, he said, I heard a lot of rumors about me. They call me the man who lives in terror. Remember, that's what they said uh, of Pashur earlier on. That that new name they gave him, Magor Misabib, which means the man who lives in terror. Now they were saying that about Jeremiah. They threatened him, say, hey, if you say anything, Jeremiah, we're going to report it. So after he got his head on straight, you know, giving up the idea of quitting the ministry, he got his head on straight about the call to his ministry. Jeremiah took his eyes off of himself and he looked to the enemies around him. Now, faith doesn't ignore problems. Faith faces those problems honestly and and faith faces them head on and faith seeks God's help in solving those problems. No matter how much Jeremiah was duty-bound to preach God's word, he had to deal with the fact that a lot of people wanted to shut him up. They wanted him to do whatever, uh, and they were going to do whatever they had to do to shut him up. And they, and they, they were mocking him. Jeremiah was mocked with his own words. Fear on every side. Whatever Jeremiah said or condemned, the leaders would tr- of Judah would turn it back against him until he was devastated and discouraged. Oh, Jeremiah's going to be living on fear on every side. Using the new name that God gave Peshur in verse 3, it's possible that Jeremiah's enemies used the name fear on every side as a nickname now for Jeremiah. It was just another way to ridicule the prophecies, the message of God in front of the people. They watched him. They took note of what he did and what he said. Why? So that they could find something unlawful to report to the authorities. David was treated like that. Jesus was treated like that. 
And then Jeremiah's mood changes from, from expressing courage to wanting revenge. And then in worship, in verses 11 through 13. Let's look at verse 11. But the Lord is with me. Notice, now he's expressing courage. Verse 11. But the Lord is with me as a mighty awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. So Jeremiah turned to God in prayer and prays in his time of deepest need. He turns to God in prayer and prays in time of his deepest need. He says, the Lord is going to be with me. In his call, Jeremiah was promised God's presence to deliver him. He calls him the, the, the mighty awesome one. Jeremiah's powerful warrior. Jeremiah's enemies, he said, he said they're not going to prevail. They're going to stumble. They're going to fall before God. And the punishment, their punishment would be shame and everlasting confusion. So in Jeremiah, remembering the promises of God that God gave him when he called him, Jeremiah was confident that the Lord was going to be with him, that God was going to deal effectively with his enemies. And instead of dishonoring him, his enemies would themselves be dishonored. And then in verse 12 now. But, O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous and see the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for I have pleaded my cause for you. Now he's calling out for vengeance. One minute he's feeling courage and, 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 and good, and now he's, he's asking God for vengeance. He says, you who test. God tests. And he judges the righteous. He judges and tests those who walk uprightly in his ways and truth. Jeremiah says he sees the mind and the heart. God can see the innermost part of who we are. He can see the innermost part of our being. And God can discern our attitudes and our spirit. And Jeremiah cried here in verse 12, Let me see your vengeance on them, God. He cried for the Lord's promised judgment and destruction to be fulfilled without delay. And then in verse 13, he says, Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of evildoers. So now he's praising the Lord. He's going through all these different emotions. After turning his complaint over to the Lord, Jeremiah had every reason to sing and to praise God because now the Lord would have to bear his burdens and help fight his battles. Psalm 62, 8 says, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Jeremiah's confession of trust turns to praise as he quotes and, and paraphrases a psalm or a hymn. And the context and the content of the, of the psalm that he's speaking of here is similar to Psalm 35, verses 9 and 10. Let's look at verses 14 through 15. Cursed be the day in which I was born. Let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. Let the man be cursed who brought news to my father, saying, A male child has been born to you, making him very glad. But then Jeremiah's excitement in verses 11 through 13 didn't last very long because in this next very, next very, two, next two verses here, um, he, he, he was cursing the day he was born. Now, when Jewish parents gave birth to a son, they would rejoice because that, that son could carry on the family name and he would be able to take care of, of, of the parents in their old age. And in ancient Israel, to curse God or one's parents, that was an offense that was punishable by death. But here, Jeremiah avoided committing that capital offense by cursing his birth, not his parents for them giving birth. 
He, 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 you know, he cursed his, his, his birth and, and also his, his call from God. A priestly family like Jeremiah's would be especially grateful for a son like Jeremiah who could carry on the ministry to the Lord. Verses 16 through 17. He goes on and say, And let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew and did not relent. Let him near the cry, or let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noon. Because he did not kill me from the womb, that my mother might have been my grave and her womb always enlarged with me. Jeremiah's ideas were different. The messenger who announced that a son had been born and would bring joy to a family and expect a reward for bringing his good news. But Jeremiah asked that that messenger be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Let them be destroyed. He wanted that man to wake up to, to crying in the morning and to hear battle cries every noon. Jeremiah asked, why didn't I die at birth? He says, my life is nothing but trouble and sorrow and shame. And it would have been better for me if I had died at birth. You see, in Jeremiah's distress, he thought it would be more merciful for him to die before he was born than to endure the hardship that he was going through, the rejection, the persecution, the imprisonment that he had faced. He thought, hey, it would have been better if I had just died. Verse 18. Why did I come forth from the womb to see labor and sorrow that my day should be consumed with shame? Again, verse 18, he says, why? Why? It's an easy question to answer. Why, didn't, why was I born? Because God had a special purpose for him, just like he has a special purpose for your life. And he designed you to fulfill that purpose. Remember, God does not make mistakes. He's all-knowing. Think about that. He saved you knowing everything about you, your past, what you were doing, what you're going to do. He chose you in spite of that. Because he has a special purpose for you. When he calls his servants, we shouldn't question his wisdom. All of us have had, have had times of, of discouragement. When we've felt like quitting. But you see, that's when we have to, to, have to look beyond ourselves. It's not about me. It's not about my feelings. It's not about my circumstances. I need to see the greatness and the wisdom of God in all of this. In closing, a man was shoveling snow from his driveway when two boys carrying, carrying snow shovels approached him. Shovel your snow, mister? One of the boys asked. Only two dollars. Puzzled, the man replied, can't you see that I'm doing it myself? Sure, said the enterprising lad. That's why we asked. We get most of our business from people who are half through and feel like quitting. Father, we come before you and we thank you so much for Jeremiah. We thank you so much for his life. We thank you, oh Lord, for this awesome chapter, Lord. Father, you didn't call us to sit. You called us to serve. Father, help us to answer that calling, God. And we've learned, if we've been a Christian for, for any time at all, for any length of time at all, we've learned, God, 
that serving isn't always easy. That there are difficult times. There are trying times. But God, we are to work through. We're to work through those difficult times, those difficult days, God. Help us, Lord. Jesus said in this world we will have tribulation. But then he gave the encouragement, be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. And it is through him that we become overcomers. There's nothing that we can, all things are possible through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Father, we thank you that you've given us the resources to serve, the resources to deal with our battles, and that you've supplied all of our needs from your riches in heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. All right, Sunday morning.